0: Who was Jesus? It's probably more important to ask who is Jesus? Who was he? Who is he? Well, Jesus was and is the prophesied Son, meaning that he was and is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy about a Savior who would come to save his people and to set all things right. He was and is the beloved, he is the delight. He was and is the master maker. He was and he is the preacher. He is the caller. He is the life changer. He was and is the one with authority whom evil can't stand. He's got time for old ladies and he's got time for you. He is the one that everyone's looking for. Why? Because he's got the word with power and compassion and he is is willing, which is why we can't stop talking about Him and why everyone is coming to Him. I'll show you where I got all this stuff out of Mark chapter 1. I'm reading from the ESV. If you are new to Grace, that's the version that I work from, but I did the invocation out of the New King James, and whatever version you're working from, it's a good version. We will have the ESV on screen for you as well if you've never uh, brought a Bible to church or don't even own one. That's why we have the screen working with you. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. and wore a leather belt around his waist, and ate locusts and wild honey. He was the original Guelph hippie. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught as one who has authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing the man and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone's looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. But the man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places. People were coming to him from every quarter. Man, I love the Gospel of Mark. I told you once before, maybe you weren't here that week, I almost got kicked out of the University of Toronto for a paper I wrote on the Gospel of Mark 25 years ago. So it's uh, payback time. little uh, background on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, you could call the Gospel of Mark the Gospel of Peter. You could call it the Gospel of Peter because John Mark, the writer of the Gospel of Mark, was uh, basically Peter's secretary. He was his attendant and he was his writer. Here's a little background on the Gospel of Mark. Widespread evidence from the early church fathers affirms that Peter passed on reports of the words and deeds of Jesus to his attendant and writer, John Mark. Of particular significance in this regard are the brief statements by Papias, bishop of Heriopolis from 120 A.D., Preserved by Eusebius of Caesarea, 260 to 340 AD. Papias states that he received oral tradition from John the Elder and Apostle, and he passes on the following regarding Mark. One, he was the writer for Peter. Two, he wrote down accurately as much as he could remember of Peter's words, which the latter had adapted to the needs of the moment. Three, he was not an eyewitness of Jesus nor a disciple. Four, it was his desire not to omit or misrepresent anything. Papias concluded that the Gospel of Mark gains its apostolic and reliable character from its Petrine origin, meaning because Peter lies behind it, this Gospel has authority. Peter stands behind Mark's Gospel. Most scholars affirm that it was written in Rome somewhere around A.D. 50. Some scholars would dispute that and say maybe it was the early 60s A.D. Whether it's the early 50s A.D. or the early 60s A.D., I want to point out how close this is to the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, which occurred somewhere in the mid-30s A.D. So 33 to 36 A.D. is sometime around the time that Jesus was crucified and rose again from the dead. So we're within about 15 to 20 years of those events happening when this gospel is written down. Somewhere in the mid-50s, perhaps the early 60s. Its ultimate purpose is to present and defend Jesus' universal call to discipleship. That's what the gospel of Mark is about. He wants to present and defend Jesus' universal, meaning to everyone, his universal call to discipleship. Discipleship. The goal of John Mark's gospel is to both narrate and then to um, identify the teachings of Jesus. So Mark wants to tell you who Jesus is. He wants to show you what Jesus did. And he wants you to take from this what you ought to do. The central conceit in the gospel of Mark is that to be a disciple of Jesus means to copy his way of life. Literally, a disciple is a copier of their teacher. So Mark believes clearly that to be a disciple of Jesus means to copy his way of life, or, like the hook to our series, to figure out how Jesus' life transforms ours. Welcome to the Gospel of Mark. Today's goal is to try and figure out who Jesus was so that we can do what he said and live how he lived. Let's start at the beginning. Verse 1, the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of of God this is the beginning of the greatest story ever told and you are a part of it this first verse doesn't tell us that you are a part of it but you will see as the book continues that you are clearly a part of Jesus story and Jesus story is the greatest story ever this is the start the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ there is room for you in his story you will see all throughout the gospel of Mark how Jesus makes room for people and not only does he make room for people. He makes room for people who typically are not given room in the presence of the holy. There is room for you in this story, and I want to warn you right off the top that this story is a fairly polarizing story. How do we know? The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. John Mark throws the gauntlet down right there. He's saying this, Jesus is not just a rabbi, he's not just a teacher, he's not a sage, he's not a philosopher, he is God the Son made flesh. Mark is pulling no punches here. He's saying Jesus is not just an option to be considered, he is God the Son made flesh, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of of God. There is a central belief that lies at the heart of all the Gospels of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And this is that, that Jesus either is who he says he was, the Son of God made flesh, or he's a liar, or he's crazy. Or if you want to be really, really charitable, he's been grossly misinterpreted by every scholar who ever handled the sacred texts. So this is a question you have to wrestle with as you see the life of Jesus exposed through the Gospel of Mark. Is he who he says He was. Is he God the Son made flesh, or isn't he? Now, I want to say this, in case you are checking out the story of Jesus throughout this series, and I've told you to invite your friends, because if they've ever been curious about Jesus, this will be a great opportunity for them to kind of poke at him a little bit. So if that's you this morning, and you're not ready yet to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I want to say, I get you, and I'm not asking or expecting you to believe that starting today. I just want you to be aware that that question is the central tension that Mark is going to ask you to resolve. He's going to ask you to resolve this in your own heart and mind. And most importantly, he's going to ask you to resolve this in your lifestyle as you interact with the story of Jesus as expressed throughout these 16 weeks. You see, it's not just who is Jesus, but it's who is Jesus to you. And the beautiful thing about Jesus is that even if you're coming to him this morning, really just as someone who's curious, what I have found over 25 years in the ministry is that as people interact with Jesus, they don't get less interested in him. As people get to know Jesus, as they begin to understand his story, I have, in fact, never seen anyone start to taste and see that the Lord is good and then go, nah, nah, it's not for me. So if you're here this morning and you're just curious about Jesus, welcome to church. I'm so glad you're here, and I hope that by the end of these 16 weeks, you can answer that question. Who is Jesus to me? Mark clearly believes that Jesus was who he said he was. He believes that he is the prophesied, promised son. We see this in verses 2 and 3, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. He's quoting here two Old Testament sources. He's quoting Malachi chapter 3 verse 1. And he's quoting the chapter that I read to you for invocation this morning. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. He's saying, one, that Jesus is the prophesied, promised son so you can believe in him. If Jesus is the prophesied, promised Son, then you can believe in Him. It's important to wrestle with the idea that Jesus is not just you know, some concept conjured up by a few religious fanatics. From the Christian point of view, Jesus is the point of the Old Testament. Okay, So a Jewish person would not agree with this. A Jewish person would not say Jesus Christ is the point of the Old Testament. But a Christian person definitely would say, Jesus Christ is the apex. He's the point. He's the foundation. He is why the Old Testament exists, to show us the Father's love through the coming of the promised Son. Jesus is the foundation stone of Christianity. And it's important to keep in mind that for better or worse, with all its warts and beauty, Christianity is the bedrock of western civilization and this has been the case ever since the gospel of Jesus Christ spread from Judea in the years following AD 35 to literally overtake the Roman world which was the established power in western civilization at the time and from 35 AD right through 360 AD when the council 325 AD excuse me when the council of Nicaea set down the Nicene Creed and formalized Christianity as the faith of the empire Christianity became the bedrock of Western civilization as we know it. So even your friends, co-workers, neighbors, and peers who don't believe a word about Jesus are living in a society that is built upon the foundation of who Jesus is and what Jesus said and the way in which we are meant to walk those truths out. You're not believing in some fairy tale here. In fact, you are living in a culture that, for better or worse, with all its warts and beauty, is an outworking of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What Mark is trying to say, and what I'm trying to echo, is that your belief in Jesus is well-founded. So if you come to church insecure, if you come to church really skeptical, thinking that this is some far-fetched story that you know, only crazy people believe in, that is simply not the historical fact. The thing about Jesus is that you're not being asked to believe in a good man. I'm not asking you to consider believing in a good man here. I am asking you to consider believing in the God-man here. This is clearly who John the Baptist, the original Guelph hippie, thought Jesus was. In verses 4 through 8, we see who this guy is and what he does. He's this radical preacher hanging out in the wilderness. He wears a camel's cloak, and it's not a leather belt. Okay, In the original, it's a leather loincloth. This man is wearing a leather loincloth and a camel skin as a coat. This man is tough. right? And he's preaching the gospel. He's preaching the gospel of repentance for sin. He's baptizing The entire region. This guy is such a preacher and such a wild man that the entire region is coming down to hear him preach and they're being baptized in the Jordan for the forgiveness of their sins. He is a wild man. In fact, Jesus later says that of the people who are born into the world throughout all history, there has come none greater than John the Baptist. This guy is... Something else. He's a wild man. He's a leather loincloth, cloth busting locust and wild honey eaten. Wild man drawn huge crowds to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Why is he doing this? Because he believes that after me comes one who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Verses 7 through 8. So he believes that the one coming after him is something else. And then that something else shows up in verses 9 through 10. Hear the text and see it on screen. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. When he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. Who is Jesus? You see a powerful picture here. He is the Son, beloved of the Father. He is the delight. He is the one upon whom the Holy Spirit settled. We see here a beautiful picture of the Trinity. If you've ever wrestled with the concept of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, here in verses 9 through 11, you see Him in action. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is in the water. God the Spirit is descending upon Him in the form of a dove. And God the Father blesses Him vocally from heaven. God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father. God the Father professing His love for God the Son. God the Spirit anointing Him with His presence. Jesus is also shown in this sequence to be master maker, but I think you only see it if you look very closely. Consider verses 12 through 13. Look what happens after His baptism. Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove Him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. I see here a picture of Eden. Do you see it? Think about what Eden was like. And now look at this scene. Jesus is out in nature, like Adam and Eve. He's wearing clothes, though. Right? He's out in nature. The devil is testing him. Right? We saw that happen once before. He's chilling with the wild animals. Many of the Bible interpreters say that he was in peril of the wild animals, but when I read it in Greek, it says he was meta the wild animals. Literally kai and meta ton thērion. Kai hoi ageloi he's hanging out, he's with the wild animals and the messengers, the angels are through serving him. I see a picture of Jesus, the master maker here, hanging out in the desert because he made it. He's the spoken word of God made flesh. He's no stranger to this desert. He's not afraid of these wild animals. I like to picture it like one of the lions is coming up and he's laying down with the lamb that was slain. Y'all feel me? This is the master maker here. The angels are like, Jesus is in the desert. Let's go serve him. Right? He's in the desert and the devil knows who he is. He's like, I better go harass this fool. Right? Nature itself. Our adversary, the snake, and God's friends, the angels, all recognize who it is that's come to town. My question for you is, do you? Do you recognize who it is that's come to town? Don't let yourself get outdone by a lizard. All right? Jesus is the beloved. He's the delight. He's the master maker. So, the point for you, receive him as all you need. Oh man, if that could be one goal for these 16 weeks, for you to receive Jesus as all you need, I could sleep well at night. He's the preacher, point number three, contained in verses 14 through 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I want you to notice what Jesus is saying here. He's saying the time is now to repent and believe. And the same thing is true today that was true then. The time is now. repent and believe doesn't matter where you're at doesn't matter where you're from doesn't matter what your week was like doesn't matter what the month looks like coming up now is the time today is the day to repent and believe the gospel it's always a good time to come to jesus he's the preacher he's the caller we see this in verses 16 through 17 passing alongside the sea of galilee He sees Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting their nets into the sea for they were fishermen. And Jesus said unto them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And in Simon and Andrew's case, and in a few minutes, in James and John's case, he's not just a preacher. He's not just the caller. He is the life changer. Consider verse 20. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. See you later, dad. Jesus has called me. i got to go. Jesus is the preacher. He's the caller. He's the life changer. So listen up and change your way of life. I want to warn you against the tendency that we all have to ask Jesus when he calls us if we can stay and fish a little while longer. You may be guilty of that. I know I have been. Jesus speaks clearly to us. And we say, yes, Lord, but just let me finish this cast. Y'all know how long it takes to fish, right? It's not exactly like a quick thing. Give me a second, Lord. Just let me throw out one more net, Lord. Just let me finish this task, Lord. It's a real challenge for me here to come to Jesus as soon as He calls. You want to respond to Jesus. You don't want to be against Him. You want to be on His side. Why? Well, we see why in verses 21 through 28. After calling the disciples, he goes into Capernaum. He enters the synagogue and immediately starts teaching. John Mark loves the term immediately. He shows up 41 times in this gospel. He's in a hurry. He wants to get his sermon done in the next four and a half minutes. Immediately, he goes into the synagogue in Capernaum. My family and I have spent time in Capernaum. It's a very small little town. On the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, if you're coming to Israel with us next year, you'll get to see it. It's awesome. There is still a synagogue there. The synagogue there is from the 3rd century. It was built, we think, above the ruins of the synagogue from Jesus' time. There's a shrine built over a house that most people believe was the house of Simon's mom, the house into which Jesus goes in just a few minutes. After he's called his disciples, he goes into the synagogue. He starts teaching, and the demon-possessed man can't handle it. As soon as he starts preaching, this demon jumps up and starts shouting at him. I know who you are. What do you have to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? You're the Holy One of God. And what does Jesus do with this terrorist? He doesn't negotiate with him. He shuts him up. Be quiet and come out of him. The demon convulses the man and comes out of him, and the crowd is shocked. Who is this that even the demons listen to? To him. You want to be on Jesus' side. He teaches with authority. And I'll get to tell you this morning, it's my joy to proclaim that authority cuts both ways. On the one hand, Jesus' authority is very comforting. Why? Because he's in charge. You're like, I'm good. He's in charge. It cuts the other way, though, because he's in charge of you, which is terribly disturbing. All right, let's not be stupid Christians who celebrate the fact that God is in charge of the cosmos, but who rebel against the fact that He's in charge of me. He gets to tell you what to do, He gets to make you uncomfortable, He gets to call you into a life that you didn't expect. He also doesn't negotiate with terrorists. I love it. Be quiet. Come out of Him. He's in charge. As you learn to follow Jesus, know that you're following the one who is an authority. And this is an entirely new thing in the world. The people say, what kind of new teaching is this? And you guessed it, it's Kinos new. It's the new in regards to form. This is totally new. We've never seen anything like this. And it is hard for us as Christians who are part of a cultural Christianity that has sprung up over 2,000 years of following Him to remember that Jesus is something altogether new. Don't allow yourself to get used to Him. Allow yourself to believe in His miraculous power. Allow yourself to respond to His life-altering call. Know that you are dealing here with the master maker of all that is. And all were amazed. They questioned, who is this one? A new teaching with authority. He is the one with authority who evil can't stand. So, applicable point for you, submit to Him and walk in holiness. Once you come to believe who Jesus is for real, holiness gets a lot easier. Because you're like, yes. Whatever you say, okay. Now, this doesn't mean you don't ever stumble, but the second you stumble, you're like, I'm sorry, Lord. Help me walk in newness of life. Right? Once you know and believe who Jesus is, holiness gets easier. And why is Jesus worthy of such devotion? Because he's literally the greatest. Whoever was, point number five, he's got time for old ladies and he's got time for you. He finishes preaching in the synagogue and he goes into the house of Simon Peter's mom and she's sick with a fever. It's like, oh, big deal. He goes and lifts her up, touches her, lifts her to her feet. The fever leaves her and she serves them. I want to tell you this morning, this is a pattern we see in scripture. When Jesus heals somebody, he usually gives them a task. As Jesus heals you and restores your life, expect for him to give you a task. He has not called you to become a spectator. He has called you to join him on his mission and culture to seek and save the lost and to work towards the renewal of all things. Even with Simon Peter's mom, she gets up healed and she starts serving him. I want you to note that he had time for an old lady and he's got time for you. In fact, he's got time for more than just you. Consider verses 32 through 34. That evening at sundown, literally the second that Sabbath is over, they brought to him all who were sick. In the Greek here, you know what sick is? Evilly. You're like, that's a very good picture of sickness. Evilly. They brought to him all who were evilly or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. I want you to note that lots of people had lots of things wrong with them. If that's you, Jesus has time for you. He makes time in Mark's gospel for those who have need. If something's wrong with you, Jesus has time for you. He's got time for old ladies, and he's got time for you. So make room in your heart and time in your life for him. That one want to preach good. Not just room in your heart, although some of us aren't quite there yet. Not just room in your heart, but time in your schedule for him. Why? Well, because he's the one everyone's looking for. Point number six, introduced in verse 37. And they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you. I could say this two ways. Earlier, at the end of Shabbat, when they bring everyone to his door, it says that the whole city was looking for him. The whole city was at the door, and I would love for us as a church to interpret that allegorically and go, the entire city of Guelph is at our door, and they are hungry for Jesus. And I want you to know that your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors are much more hungry for Jesus than you would expect. You don't know how hungry they are because you have Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, and it's all you can do not to start testifying, saying, yes, that's me. I'm hungry. I'm already hungry. I've been here one sermon. I'm already hungry for this Jesus you're talking about, preacher. Everyone was at the door. He's the one that everyone's looking for. Jesus goes off to pray early in the morning like, where are you? Everyone's looking for you. Why are they looking for him? Well, because he's got the word with power. See this in verse 37. He went throughout all Galilee Preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. When next year we go to Magdala, we'll actually be in the ruins of the first century synagogue. And I have filmed there, and so they let me behind the barrier and actually stood on the spot where Jesus would have stood as he read the Torah scroll. And you can bet that I didn't speak the rest of the day. He goes throughout all of Galilee preaching and healing those who are sick and casting out many demons. He's incredible. He's also a preacher. It's like my best day. I'm like, I get to do the job that Jesus did. Once in a while, it doesn't suck to be me. Today's one of those days. This is what Jesus did. He preached with power, and he healed the sick and cast out many demons. Also, um, he's compassionate. He is willing. Look at verses 40 through 44. And a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him, saying, if you will, you can make me clean moved with pity, compassion, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And then what does Jesus do? He says, don't tell anybody. Does the leper listen to him? No, he immediately goes and starts spreading the news about Jesus who touched him and made him well, so much so that Jesus can no longer enter any towns. He has to preach in the wilderness because in Galilee, it's the only place you can gather a large crowd is out on the hills to the west of the Sea of Galilee. The leper comes to him. Knee falling to him in the Greek. This is one of my favorite motifs in Mark. We see this again and again in this gospel. Someone who is shattered by suffering, coming to Jesus and collapsing before him. You know why I love this so much? Because I am that leper. I am that leper. And it's my dearest hope, friend, that over the next 16 weeks, you come to realize that you are too. Christians do not... Have it all together. We are not the shiny, happy people of the world popularized by the moral majority, promoted by the religious right and lampooned by popular culture. We are not the good people of the world washing our cars on our lunch breaks, hosing and scrubbing as best we can in skirts and suits. We are not the religious elite. We are not the pious. We are not the good. We are the lepers at Jesus' feet. That's the most important thing I've said in this church in at least a year. We are the lepers at Jesus' feet, and he, receive it, has compassion, and he is willing. Verses 41 and 42, moved with compassion. You want to be like Jesus? Let compassion be what moves you. Not a cause, not morality, compassion. Let compassion be what moves you if you want to be like Jesus. And he stretched out his hand and he touched him. Before he heals him, he touches him. And leprosy is what? Highly contagious. Evil is what? Highly contagious. But Jesus... Touches the leper before he cleanses him. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. And neither does anyone else. For God demonstrates His own love towards us in this. That while we were yet sinners, what? Christ Jesus died for us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. God the Son made flesh became a man went to a cross where he suffered and died in your place for your sin and he did not stay dead but he arose the third day from death defeating in his body the power of Satan, sin, death and hell once and for all and then he ascended to his father's right hand sat down in victory and he will come again from that place one day in glory to inaugurate his kingdom which will have no end, a kingdom in which even now he is preparing a place for you church, he is willing, which is why worship team I'm done, you cannot stop talking about him and why everyone is coming to him. Look as we close at verse 45. Help me, Jesus. But he went out, the healed leper, and began to talk freely about what Jesus did and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but he was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. To begin spreading the news, literally in the Greek here, is to be blazing abroad what Jesus had done for him. It's hard to keep quiet when you've been touched by Jesus. Why? Because he's the prophesied son, so we believe in him. He's the blessed, the delight, the master maker, so we receive him as all we need. He is the preacher, the caller, the life changer, so we listen up and change our way of life. He's the one with authority, who evil can't stand, so we submit to him and walk in holiness. He's got time for old ladies and he's got time for you, so we make room in our hearts and time in our lives for him he's the one everyone's looking for he's got the word with power he has compassion and he is willing so we run to him and bow the knee because we are the leper at his feet and he touched us before we were clean which is why we can't stop talking about him we can't resist him Kai and they came to him Every soil place, friends, the children of the dust are coming to the king of kings because Jesus' life transforms ours.